0: Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court.
1: On this episode, I'll be talking about the blacklist. And I'll be talking about a horrible murder. Oh, same, 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 same. <laughs> Gonna make us cry, are you? Oh, that's pretty bad. <laughs> oh, good, oh, good.
0: Yeah. How dare you? I know. On this day of all days. I know, okay, funny story, hmm. everyone. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> I showed up to record today and Kristen was like at the door with it open with like a concerned look on her face uh-huh. and she's holding something in her hand and she's like, have you seen Norm? Is he outside? And what's this card? This was just like in the door. And she opens it up. What? What? And it was a happy anniversary card from DP and Sherey. Both Kristen and Norm forgot that today was their wedding anniversary. <laughs> Which is a tradition.
1: Because you did it last year as well. <laughs> <laughs> also, fun fact, on our wedding, we both forgot to bring the rings to give to each other at the ceremony. Did, so did you not exchange rings? No, um, my mom and dad he just handed us their rings. <laughs> As, like, you know, because it's, you know. Yeah, you know, it's just symbolic. It didn't feel like I was marrying my dad. Don't worry. D- Great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway. Happy anniversary to you and Norm. Yeah, thank you. We are as surprised as you are. <laughs> Celebrating in style. With you. That's right. I was like, hey, guys, can I go to your anniversary lunch with you <laughs> Yes, but you have to fuck us both. Oh, no! And she
1: did. <laughs> it was very romantic for all of us. And now here we are to tell you some sad stories. Yeah. Oh, before you bum everyone the hell out, should we yeah. like try to get some money from them? Yeah, join yeah. our Patreon! We got a hot new bonus episode. What did we talk about? We
0: talked about... Oh, LGBT cases! Yeah, it was an accidental theme. Yeah. It was. It's a good episode. It was a good
1: episode. Yes, I was on it. Brandy also made yes. an appearance.
0: <laughs> Don't say I also made an appearance. <laughs> my story was first.
1: My story was second, and it didn't contain the last name Bottoms. And it was terrible. And I felt like I'd been punched in the gut. You were really mad about I it. I was. I'm. I'm not over it yet. But then we did the Q and A portion at the end, and you forgot how bad my case was, and yeah. you were happy again. And yeah. it was just a real. Roller coaster it's ride a roller for all of us.
0: Of emotions. Anyway, to listen to that, all you have to do is join our Patreon at the five dollar level or higher, and there's like I don't know thirty eight of those fucking bonus episodes on there. It's a lot of bonus episodes. All of them meaty. That's
1: right. Extra meat. Are you going to tell your story, or are you delaying? I guess I'll tell it. It's bad. By the way, if you're enjoying um, this ad free episode. That's because we did this on purpose. It's so you can get a taste, taste of what it's of like. what the sweet at,
0: life is like.
1: Yeah. At the top tier on our Patreon, you get ad-free episodes. And that's what this is. It's not just because, you know, no one wanted no to buy an, ad, buy an this ad, this ad this episode. On this episode. <laughs> that's for sure. Not or Because why. we said no
0: to every single person who asked if they could buy an ad on this episode. <laughs>
1: Here's what we've discovered, gang. When you got a mostly um an audience of mostly women and you don't want to promote diet products and you not many
0: people <laughs> or like weird potions. <laughs> you would not believe the amount of ads we say no to. <laughs> and that's only because we
1: are creating our own weird potions.
0: <laughs> Yeah, and
1: we don't want the competition. It's hitting the
0: market soon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are we going to call it? (sighs) Okay,
1: first of all, what would it do? I don't know. (laughs) I'm thinking booty like brandy. Oh, I like it. Curls like Kristen.
0: Yeah. So we got like a hair tonic and a butt lotion. All in one. You can use it on either. Ooh, I like it.
1: Well, we know it doesn't work, so put it wherever you want.
0: Anyway, that's coming soon. It's coming soon. All right, let me tell this terrible story so I can be done with it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm so bummed about this story. Well, did someone force you to do this no, at gunpoint? No. But then I read a bunch of stuff, and like I was like, "Oh, I'm going to talk about something else. Like, this is terrible." And then like I read ran too out of much time. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like, "No, I'm I'm in on this case." All right. Shout-outs to Erica Marie for OurBlackGirls.com, a great entry on this case there, and an article by Mary Hallberg for MaryHallbergMedia.com, another great article there, and also TheCharlieProject.com. So all of these three places had great, like, synopsises.
1: Synopsies. Synopsi
0: (laughs) of this case. Plus, they also linked to sources, so Hmm. it was really wonderful. Okay.
1: Glad for you. Yes, thank you. Now let's get
0: bummed. Okay. All right, hold on. Let me take a drink of water. Let me get the. Let me shake out this.
1: Wow, you're really stalling. Yeah. I feel like I stall, and you never do.
0: Okay, here we go. Okay. Tanisha Stewart was an impressive young woman. Her loved ones described her as ambitious and tenacious. She knew what she wanted, and she went after those things. They also said she was a girly girl who preferred to stay indoors, which, Mm, same. That's a Brandy move right (laughs) there. In high school, she was an honor student who managed the basketball team. And when asked why she chose to manage rather than play, she said she liked basketball but didn't like to sweat. Okay. Relatable. Yeah, I mean, is this you? Right. (laughs) In approximately 2004, is really hard for me to nail down the year here, but that was, you know, I did some math. When Tanisha was 16, she was in her junior year of high school, and she got a job at a Pizza Hut near her home in Houston, Texas. It was while she was working there that she met Timothy Shepard. Despite the fact that Tim was nine years older nope. than Tanisha, which made him a grown ass 25 year old man, nope. who had no business fraternizing with a 16 year old. The two quickly hit it off, and before long, they were in a relationship. No. no. Nope.
1: Nope. Yeah. I'll make you a deal. You just stop the story Get right now.
0: We forget you even started it. <laughs> Wonderful. Let's hear your story. <laughs> uh, Tanisha lied to her parents about Tim's age, and initially they seemed to like him, but that didn't last long. Mm-hmm. Tanisha's friends and family quickly determined that her relationship with Tim was toxic. He was super jealous. He was possessive. He was controlling. She had a younger sister, I believe, that she kind of, like, confided in. And she told her sister that Tim had threatened her. Another one of her siblings said that she had seen Tim be abusive or, like, mm. had grabbed her or pushed her or something of that yeah. nature. And there was an incident fairly early on in the relationship, I believe, where Tanisha was at Tim's apartment and – which is just – she's 16 and he's 25. Yeah. Anyway, she was, like – they had gotten into an argument and she wanted to leave and he refused to let her leave and, like, block the door. But – The relationship continued, and as it went on, he tried to isolate her from her friends and family. At one point, one article said that they were actually, like, living together at his apartment, but she was still in high school, so I'm not really sure how that was going on, Mm -hmm. but, Mm -hmm. you know, who knows. People started to notice that this relationship was not healthy, though. At one point, Tanisha's mom, Gail, Gail Shields, thought that, Tanisha didn't seem like herself. She thought she seemed kind of depressed and she noticed that she was getting a lot of phone calls from Tim. Like he was always calling, Uh like checking in on her. Who is she with? What is she doing? Um, And so Gail tried to respect Tanisha's privacy and not pry too much into her relationship, but she also tried to suggest to Tanisha that maybe, like, she was pushing herself too hard. Maybe you're working too much. Maybe you're, Uh you know, spending too much time with Tim. Like, maybe give yourself a break. Cut back your hours at work. And then other people who were close to Tanisha started noticing some bruising on her. It was very clear that this was... Not a good relationship. But every time anybody asked her about it, Tanisha said she was good. Everything was fine. And she was doing really well. She graduated high school in the top 10% of her class. She got a bunch of scholarships to Texas A&M. And she was really excited to go away to school. So this was about like, 90 miles north of where she lived in Houston. Mm -hmm. So she would be, like, living on campus. It would kind of take her away, and she felt really excited about that opportunity. So she started at Texas A&M in 2006. She was majoring in civil and chemical engineering, which sounds... So easy. So hard. (laughs) So did Tim...
1: Or what's his face? Is his Tim, name, his name's Tim. So he
0: moved there? He did not. He stayed in Houston, but they stayed together and did like a long distance thing mm-hmm. initially. But by the end of her first semester there, they had broken up. And at one point they had broken up and then they'd gotten back together. Tim had a young daughter and he reconciled with his daughter's mom at mm-hmm. some point. But then he continued to call Tanisha, even while she was away at school. And if he couldn't get a hold of her, he would call her roommate and her friends. Oh, cool. And, yeah, that, yeah, I'm sure that was welcome. Yeah. Sometimes he would even just like show up on campus. Ew. hmm Yeah. It wasn't great. So they reconciled somewhere around Christmas. They got back together. But by January of 2007, they were done they were completely broken up and in february tanisha started seeing someone else a guy named mark like they'd met at school they mm-hmm. were about the same age like yeah it seemed like a normal a solid way relationship to go. absolutely yeah. and for a while tim stopped calling tanisha but then when he found out that she was interested in someone yeah. else the calls started picking back up and yeah It was just a bad situation. By spring break of 2007, Tanisha was 19, and she was thinking about, like, coming home for spring break like most college students do. But she was worried about what that would mean for her interaction with Tim. It would put her back in the same town he was in, and she felt like he would bother her Mm -hmm. while she was there. He'd show up at her house. He'd follow her around. He'd interrupt her while she was doing stuff with her friends. But – Ultimately, she decided that she was going to go. And so she went back home. She hung out with some friends. She made plans to go to a concert. I couldn't find what concert. All I found was that it was at a rodeo. So country concert, maybe. All right. Okay. And then she did at one point end up hanging out with Tim Shepard. Tim picked her up from a friend's house and she left her cell phone behind. Okay, I really tried to get to the bottom of this if this was like an intentional thing to not take her cell phone with her or if she accidentally left it. But the official court record says that she was at her friend Lois's house Mm -hmm. and Tim came to pick her up and that she left her phone behind and told Lois she would be back to get it. What year was this? 2007.
1: Hmm. Okay, I don't really have a theory.
0: I know. I don't either. I'm not really sure. It seems odd that she would go without her cell phone. Right. Unless – gosh, I don't even think in 2007 though they have like the tracking apps that they have now. Like maybe she didn't want her mom to know she was with Tim. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But she never came back to get her cell phone. Mm-hmm. And she never showed up at the concert. And she never showed up back at home. And so when Tanisha didn't come home, Gail was like, okay, this isn't like Tanisha. Where is she? And so she immediately went to Tim Shepard's apartment and was like, where's my daughter? Yeah. So it turned out that Tanisha had spoken to her sister at one point when she was with Tim. I believe, like. It was like noon the day that she was supposed to come back home. So she Mm -hmm. spoke to her sister at like noon and then never showed up home that night. And so her sister knew she had been with Tim. And so that's why Gail went to Tim's apartment and was like, where's my daughter? And she's like – and he admitted that they'd been together the day before. She'd come back to his apartment. She'd been there until like the early morning hours. But they'd gotten into a fight because he had asked about this guy that she was seeing. At school, And she said that she wasn't going to talk about it with him and that she'd stormed off. And that was it. It was the last you'd seen her. And Gail was like, Mm-mm, nope. Yeah. She knew immediately that this was not the case. Gail said that Tanisha wouldn't go anywhere on her own at night. She wouldn't even cross the street on her own. So the mm-hmm. idea that she would storm out of yeah. Tim's apartment at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning just not going to happen. Was not going to happen. So I think this took place on like a Saturday that she, you know, Tanisha doesn't come home. And so that Monday, Gail reported Tanisha missing. Interesting note here. Not that interesting. Just f- f- fucking terrible up. and disturbing. Okay. So remember how Tim was like really obsessed with Tanisha and called her all the time. Mm-hmm. Didn't call her a single time after she went missing.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. So Gail reports Tanisha missing. They start a search like immediately and investigators immediately talk to Tim Shepard. They went to his apartment and he said the same thing that he would told Gail that, yes, he'd been with Tanisha. They had gotten in, a par- in an apartment. They'd gotten mm-hmm. in an apartment. <laughs> They'd gotten into a fight at his apartment mm-hmm. in that she'd left somewhere between 3 and 4 a.m. And that he hadn't talked to her since. It turns out, though, that the police had actually been to Tim's apartment before this, before Tanisha had maybe been reported missing or before the police were involved with her missing person case, because the neighbors had called 911. Oh. So they learned that Tim's neighbor, 18-year-old James Herbert—well, I thought it was Herbert, but it might be (laughs) Hebert— You lost so I much I did. Well, in confidence. my head, I've read it as Herbert every time, and now that I'm looking at it, there's no R before the B, so it might be James Hebert. I'm just putting an extra R in there. Or I have a typo here. There's no way to know. We don't make errors on this <laughs> podcast, so it couldn't be that. So, 18-year-old James H. Uh-huh. <laughs> was... Tim Shepard's neighbor. They were good friends, and they barbecued together regularly. So much so... Boy, he loved teenagers, didn't he? Yeah, no fucking shit. So much so that James actually stored his grill on Tim's balcony, and Tim had a smoker on his balcony, because they just, whenever they were going to grill, they'd just grill together, and they'd grill at Tim's house. So... For two days after Tanisha went missing, Tim grilled nonstop. At one point— What do you mean nonstop? Not Like, round the clock, he was grilling and using the smoker on his patio. Brandy. Kristen, I told Brandy. you this case was fucking terrible. Brandy. Neighbors complained no. that the smell no. was horrible. No, no, no. And the flames got out of control at one point that they were so close to the building. Oh, my God. That neighbors called 911 and firefighters showed up on the scene. Oh, my God. They came to Tim's apartment and they asked him what he was doing. The neighbors asked what he was doing. His neighbor, James, was like, hey, what are you doing? You're grilling without me. And he told everybody that he was cooking for a wedding. Oh, my God. And that was why he was grilling so much. That was why he was grilling around the clock. And that's why he couldn't share what he was grilling. Oh, my God. And when they complained about— Oh, this is so mm -hmm. awful. When they complained about the smell, he said it was the spices that he was using. Oh. Interestingly enough, initially it was like, no, you can't come in my house. I've got the fire under control. Mm. You can see that, like, I'm just grilling. Everything's fine. Eventually, on this call, they actually did go into his house and... (sighs) Okay. They found meat floating in the bathtub. Oh. There was, like, ribs. Oh, my God. And just, like... Chunks of meat, oh and then on God. the stove, there were chunks of cooked meat. Fuck. Mm-hmm. But nobody found this alarming. They just believed his story, that he was barbecuing up a whole bunch of meat for a wedding. Do you think that's weird? No, I think it would be easy to believe that story. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah.
1: I think that's the most... Believable, it's like, oh god, I'm glad I'm not going to this fucking yeah. wedding.
0: Yeah, with your bathtub,
1: bathtub meat. Bathtub meat, yeah. But yeah, I don't think I'd jump to the worst conclusion. No, abs- I wouldn't either. Yeah. Oh my
0: god. So this happens, you know, at this point, Tanisha has, I believe, not been officially reported missing or the police are not yet involved. And so when the police are involved, they learn of this incident. And they come back to Timothy's apartment and ask him if they can look in it again. Initially, he was like, no. And then he lets them in. And they don't find anything that alarming. Like, it was pretty messy. Hadn't been, like, real, like, cleaned up. But they did notice one spot on one wall that was freshly painted. And when they walked into the bathroom, there was the smell of cleaners and ammonia. Um, And so they made note of that. But... That was it. You have to say words because we're on a podcast, Kristen.
1: You did this to yourself <laughs> by telling me about someone who was grilled.
0: Yeah, it's fucking terrible.
1: Um. Uh, okay, this is where they lose me. You go into someone's nasty-ass mm-hmm. apartment... But oh, they're real clean in the bathroom. They're just like super yeah, clean super in the bathroom, clean and they
0: have one freshly painted wall. Yeah. No, that's where you lose me. Yeah, um, I believe they did bring Tim in for questioning at that point, but they asked him a few questions and then let him go. He stuck to a story that she had left, that Tanisha had left around three or four in the morning after they'd had an argument. But Tanisha being missing became big news. There were searches going on. There were posters being put out. And on March 21st, so what's this... Two days after Tanisha was reported missing, probably four Mm -hmm. days after she went missing, Tim actually reached out to this man named Quanell X. So he uh, is like a local activist in the Houston area. This is actually similar to what I talked about in the Precious Doe case. So this is a guy who calls out the media for the way – he ruffles a lot of feathers. He also happened to be like the leader of Houston's Black Panther Party. But – a lot of times he serves as a like a liaison between black community members and the police. Okay. And so Tim reached out to this guy, Quanell X, and was like, I need to talk to you. I need your help. I don't know what to do because at this time the case is picking up media attention. Mm-hmm. Everybody's looking for Tanisha. Um, and so – he meets with Quanel X, and he tells him, "I must okay, I couldn't find anywhere where Quanel X's name was pronounced, so it's Quanel in the letter X. I don't think it's Quanel 10. I think it's Quanel X. Yeah, okay. Let's All just right. go with. that. OK, yeah. great. OK. So he reaches out to Quanel X. Quanel comes to his apartment and talks to Tim, and he's like, he's like, "I'm really scared. they're going to give me the death penalty." And mm-hmm. he's like, "Okay, all right. Like, tell me, tell me what's going on. Tell me." And at this point, Tim is very paranoid that because the police have already been to his apartment, he thinks they've put in listening devices. He invites Quinnell into his apartment initially, like takes him into the bathroom, and they start talking. And then he's like, "We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here." And so then he gets in Quinell's car, and they drive around for a little bit. And Quinell's like, "Okay, why don't you just why don't you just tell me what you did?" Mm-hmm. And he tells him that he killed. Tanisha. Yeah. And he's like, okay, where'd you put her? And Timothy takes him to a dumpster where he says he dumped her body. And so Quinnell puts Tim in contact with his attorney Mm -hmm. and is like, let me have you talk to my attorney and then I think we got to go to the police. Right. Like, I think that's the move here. I think. if, you're, if your biggest concern here is that you're going to get the death penalty, then like let's yeah, get, get you a lawyer and then let's talk yeah. to the police. Sure. And so that's what he did. He talked on over the phone to Quinnell's attorney and then the attorney convinced him to go talk to the police. And so Quinnell did um, set that up for him. He was okay. like, like his liaison to the police. And so Timothy contacted the police. He went in. He sat down with them and he told them that he – Put her body in this dumpster. They went and searched the dumpster, but it had been emptied multiple times by that point, so mm-hmm. there was no no sign of Tanisha in the dumpster. But they did t- test the dumpster for blood, and it came back positive. Positive
1: for being her blood, for or just, just being some blood, blood in
0: general. Okay, well that I bet a lot of dumpsters come back I positive know. for blood. Yeah. So they sit down with. With Timothy, and initially he says, "So was his story
1: that he killed her and then chopped her up and then put her remains in this dumpster?" Or,
0: um, yeah, that's his initial story. Okay, we'll get there. All right. Okay, so he sits down with the police, and he's or we like, could not, and that'd be we fine. Could just how I could just stop now. <laughs> That would be great. Right. <laughs> it would be great if we had a time machine and We've we could already just
1: heard undo enough.
0: this. yes. Okay. So he sits down with the police and initially he's like, I just want an attorney. I don't want to yeah. talk to him. And he asks specifically for Quanell X's attorney that he's already talked to. Well – the like assistant prosecutor the I don't I don't know what her official title was Kelly Sigler. we know who Kelly Sigler is. She's the one who did the reenactment in the court. oh yeah with the bed with the, the white Yes mm-hmm. yes yes We yes. do remember so she is there. she's like the prosecutor for this area of Houston and she's like, uh-uh, you can't have that attorney because that is a conflict of interest because he represents Quan-El. and Quan-El is acting as the liaison to the police right now. Really? Come on. Yeah. And so he's like, OK. So they allow him to talk with that attorney briefly. Uh-huh. And then they say that the attor- that attorney has to leave. And so after he talks to that attorney, he's like, OK, I'm willing to talk. And he gives a full confession. He's, Can they really tell you which attorney you – I don't know. That seems like some bullshit. I agree that it seems like some bullshit, but that is 100 percent what happened here. I believe it happened. Yes. Yeah. And so he then agrees after speaking briefly to this attorney to give a statement. And he tells the police that he and Tanisha had been at his apartment that night. They'd been talking about this Mark guy that she was Mm -hmm. seeing and they'd gotten in a fight and that Tanisha had grabbed a knife off yeah, the table right. and had lunged at him bullshit and that he'd strangled her out of self-defense yeah 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 yeah. and that he doesn't even really remember doing it because it kind of snapped and had like an out-of-body experience mm-hmm. and the next thing he knew she was dead and, and then he panicked the thing. Yeah. and thought no one would believe that story mm-hmm. which is true yeah <laughs> Because I don't believe that story one bit. Yeah. And knew he had to dispose of her body. So he told the police that he put her body in like a Rubbermaid tote and Mm -hmm. dumped it in that dumpster initially is the story that he told the police. Okay, But then later he admitted that he dismembered her and spent hours burning the – Body parts on the grills, and put parts of her down the garbage disposal. Oh my god! Oh my god! Anyway, it was terrible. It's fucking terrible. Mm -hmm. So, a massive search to recover that Rubbermaid tote was underway. They searched forty thousand tons of garbage at a landfill. Mm -hmm. Was searched for those remains, but then once they talked more. To Tim, they learned that he hadn't been completely honest with them on that initial statement and that he had put some body parts in a tub, but the majority of her was burned and put down the garbage disposal. Yeah. And so that search was called off after just a couple of days. (sighs) They believe the likelihood of being able to recover any of her body parts was very slim. Yeah, absolutely. This was obviously super upsetting for Tanisha's family. I cannot even imagine. To have none of her To – first of all, for her to be murdered and then to be told that we think there's no chance of recovering any of her remains. Yeah. yeah. So what they learned under further – interrogations with Tim and people around him were that a couple people in the apartment complex had seen him like a couple days after those firefighters initially Mm -hmm. came to the scene, that they saw him carry his grill and his smoker away and he had thrown them in the trash can and that after his arrest police had gotten a search warrant for his apartment and Under that search warrant, they had removed his garbage disposal and they'd done like a full search Mm. of the bathroom and the drains and all of that. And they had recovered fragments of bone and tooth enamel and they had recovered burned bone fragments. And some of them were located on the ground under his patio where he'd burned and they had like tool marks in them where it was clear that he had – dismembered him the pieces were so badly burned though and so small that it was nearly impossible to get a dna sample from them Wow! they were so small and so damaged that it was really difficult to even determine if they were human wow. but when you put it together with all the other stuff it's pretty clear yeah. what yeah. they have here so timothy shepherd was arrested and charged with tanisha stewart's murder Timothy Shepard went on trial in September of 2008. He was obviously facing life in prison. So the prosecution's case was that he had killed her in his apartment and he'd dismembered her and done horrible things to her remains Mm -hmm. afterward. They put his neighbor, James Hebert, as it turns out, because I've got the court record right here, (laughs) not not Herbert. No one thought it was Herbert ever. Yeah. It's always been Herbert. not you. (laughs) James Hebert was put on the stand and he talked about how he had seen uh, Tanisha Stewart at Tim Shepard's apartment on March 15th and that he hadn't seen her after. And then in the days after last seeing her, he'd seen Timothy grilling around the clock. Mm Mm-hmm. Just barbecuing nonstop. The other people who lived in the same apartment complex were put on the stand and talked about the smell that they'd smelled during those two days. They talked about how the flames had gotten really out of control and everybody was afraid that there was going to be you know, a fire and that they'd actually called the fire department. One of the responding fire department officers... <laughs> Firefighters? I don't think that's what people
1: say. <laughs> I think they say firefighters.
0: <laughs> anyway, you know what I love is my fire department officer, officer. calendar. Yeah. So sexy. <laughs> anyway, uh, Robert Logan is his name. It turns out he's a deputy firefighter for the. Oh no! Just kidding. What. I've combined two people. <laughs> Robert Logan is a volunteer firefighter and uh, Deputy Russell is a member of the sheriff's department. Okay. So they both testified. Was one sitting on the other's lap? I don't think so. It wasn't like a ventriloquist situation. <laughs> Did they do like a combo fireman policeman uniform? I do not think deal? so. I think I just didn't read my notes very clearly. Oh, and I, damn. I put two people together. <laughs> So the, one of the responding firefighters testified and one of the responding officers testified about what they saw that day that when they were called out. And they talked about how, yeah, there was, he was barbecuing and, yeah, there was weird meat floating in the bathtub. But it didn't seem that alarming. They'd seen stuff like that before when they'd responded to calls. And so yeah, they just thought somebody was, yeah,
1: grilling, grilling up, up a massive really, amount of
0: meat. A really gross meal. Yes. Yeah. The prosecution also put a DNA analyst on the stand. Nikki Redmond testified that she had tested some genes that were recovered from Timothy Shepard's apartment and that there was a blood profile on them that was consistent with a mixture of Timothy's blood and Tanisha's blood. OK, so she didn't specifically say it was 100 percent Tanisha's blood. The profile was enough that they could not Exclude Tanisha as a contributor to mm-hmm. the profile that was found. So it was for sure Tim Stewart's blood, and then there was another blood mixed in it, and they could not exclude Tanisha Stewart from being the owner of that blood that was mixed with it. Okay.
1: I feel like in these cases, consistent with does a lot of heavy lifting. It
0: does. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. For sure. This DNA analyst also testified about those bone fragments and tooth fragments that had been pulled from the garbage disposal. Again, DNA testing did confirm that these were human and they were able to pull a partial profile from them. And again, Tanisha Stewart could not be eliminated as a contributor to that DNA profile. Okay. And the profile was strong enough that they could eliminate Tim as a contributor. So didn't match him, was a partial match to Tanisha. The state then put a forensic anthropologist on the stand. Her name was Dr. Jennifer Love. Oh, okay. Love it. So she was an expert um, in bone trauma. So she was an anthropologist who spent, like, years under, like, two years working under, like, this guy, Dr. Steve Sims, who's the most respective anthropologist in tool mark analysis. Most respective? Most respected. Did I say respected? <laughs> I think you did. Oh, most respected anthropologist in tool mark analysis. So she spent two years working under him, and then now she worked as a forensic anthropologist with the Harris County Medical Examiner's Office. And so... She talked about those bone fragments that they found with the cut marks in them. Yeah. And again, she talked about how, like, this is very indicative of a dismemberment. And while these bone fragments are really small and too difficult to test for DNA, what we can say is that they match the makeup of, like, a human arm bone. Okay. Yeah. It is a logical conclusion to say that these— are bone fragments from a human arm bone. Yeah. And these tool marks are consistent with dismemberment marks. Mm -hmm. When it was the defense's turn to present their case, they initially tried to get – and I think they actually did this multiple times throughout this. So the prosecution had played that confession that Tim Shepard had given when he was interrogated, where he said, you know, I put her in the dumpster, blah, blah, Mm. blah. So the defense tried to get this confession thrown out saying – he had asked for an attorney. He'd been denied an attorney, and he gave the statement anyway. Yeah. So the judge looked over this and said, yes, he was given an opportunity to speak to the attorney he asked for, and then he was given an opportunity to then get a different attorney, and he declined that and, and gave the statement anyway. Okay. And so she, the judge, um, the judge did not throw out the confession. And so it became the defense's case that, yes— Tim Shepard had murdered Tanisha Stewart, but he had done so in a fit of passion and as (sighs) self-defense. Yeah, Um, she had attacked him first and so he'd strangled her to defend himself from being stabbed by her with the knife that she would lunged at him yeah that just with. doesn't make sense it doesn't make me. any sense no i think it makes no sense at all especially when you know the history of their relationship mm-hmm. yeah no they argued that because it was a crime of passion he should be sentenced to no more than 20 years in prison he was facing a maximum of 99 years in prison Following the defense's presentation of their case, the jury got the case and they deliberated for a very short time before they found Timothy Shepard guilty of the murder of Tanisha Stewart. Following the guilt phase, they entered a punishment phase and during the punishment phase, Timothy Shepard testified – He said he walked the jury through the whole thing. He said that he and Tanisha had gotten into an argument over Mark, the guy that she was dating at school, and that he had strangled her to death. And then he said that he panicked and he knew he had to cover it up because no one would believe that he had, number one, done it in self-defense. Yeah, because you didn't. It's not true. And so he told the jury that after he strangled her, he went to a hardware store and bought a jigsaw and then put her in the bathtub and went to work dismembering her body. He was really worried that she would be identified by dental records because there's only so much you can do with larger parts of the body. And so he pulled out her teeth with pliers and put them down at garbage disposal. Oh,
1: my God. Yeah, see, to me, this is is all indicative of someone who absolutely was not taken away in a crime of passion. No. No.
0: No. So, yeah, the parts that he couldn't burn or put down the garbage disposal, he had put in a large rubber tote. He'd slid those down the stairs at the apartment complex and put them in a dumpster at a neighboring apartment complex. And then he burned... Tanisha's clothes and any other evidence and he would cleaned up the bathroom as well as he could. When they executed that search warrant on his apartment, they were able to find trace amounts of blood in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, during the penalty phase, the defense again argued that this was a crime of passion and he should be sentenced to no more than 20 years in prison. His family members testified that he had many gifts – That the world would be missing out on if he was sent to prison for the rest of his life. And the prosecutor Uh, was able to cross-examine them and they were like, what about Tanisha? What about mm -hmm. her many gifts? Specifically, they were questioning, I believe it was his father, Mm -hmm. when he said, you know, Tim has lots of gifts that the world will be missing out on. And so the prosecutor was like, what about Tanisha's gifts? Mm -hmm. The world is missing out on on her gifts. And he was like, yes, it is. And the prosecutor said, because your son— Ended her life. Yeah. Right? And he said, that's right. Yeah. know. I mean. yeah. Ultimately, Timothy Stewart was sentenced to 99 years in prison and given a $10,000 fine. I don't know what the fine is for. And okay. That's a weird detail, but every article mentions it. So, so here, here we I are. am also <laughs> mentioning it. Following Tanisha's murder, Gail Shields, Tanisha's mom, talked to a group of parents and teenagers at her daughter's old high school. So this was before, actually before Timothy was tried, but after mm-hmm. he was arrested and they basically yeah, they knew, they knew what had what happened. Had happened. Yeah. And that talk centered around recognizing the signs of abuse. Her, and she encouraged parents to ask more questions about their children's relationships. She said, don't respect their privacy. Hmm. She's like, that's what I, I thought that I was doing the right thing, and I wish I would have asked more questions. She also encouraged those in abusive situations to not be afraid to ask for help. At that talk, Gail said, For some reason, I know Tanisha is smiling down on this forum today because her death would not be in vain. I feel like this is going to help someone. I hope so. Mm hmm. And that's the horrible story of the murder of Tanisha Stewart. You realize you chose that. I know. It was terrible.
1: Yeah, that was rough. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving you to get more coffee. Please do.
0: <laughs> I'll sit here and think about what I've done. Yeah, please. Okay. I'm very sorry about that, Yes. <laughs>
1: As you should be. My God, that was so sad.
0: It was so sad. She was really young and mm-hmm. Yeah, she was only nineteen at the time of her murder.
1: Did he have a history of violence against women, or do you know? I don't know.
0: I mean he had a history of being violent with Tanisha, so
1: Yeah. Ugh. All right. So moving on to my case. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, thank you to Say It and We'll Cut It in the Discord for suggesting this case. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Shoutiest of shoutouts to the documentary Brothers of the Blacklist. This mostly comes from that documentary. Mm -hmm. Okay, Brandy. Picture it. Oneonta, New York. Oneonta is super cute. It's known as the city of the hills. They got a lot of hills there? It'd be false advertising if they didn't. (laughs) And I would demand my money back. Yes. It has an adorable little downtown and a population of like 13,000 people. And, you know, it's not the most diverse place, okay? And by that I mean it's really not diverse. But they're working on it, Brandy. Okay. Oneonta is home to the State University of New York College at Oneonta, or as the cool kids call it. SUNY at Oneonta. You don't, oh. What? I'm obviously not a cool kid. Um, You ever watched Law and Order?
0: Not a lot. <laughs>
1: well, boy. Dun, dun. Okay. Edward Whaley, who goes by Bo, said that when he attended— How did you get there? I didn't ask the man. He just told me personally that he goes by Bo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, you think that's like a middle name situation? His name's Edward Beauregard. Whaley. I mean, maybe. What's his last name? Whaley. Whaley. Sorry.
1: I mean, if people who are named Margaret are going by Peggy, then Bo can do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> he said that when he attended SUNY at Oneonta in the 70s, there were only a few black families living in town. But by the 90s, things were changing. By that point, Bo was working as a counselor at the college, and there was this big statewide effort to make all of the SUNY campuses more diverse. So counselors like Bo and admissions counselors like Cheryl Champin made it a point to encourage students of color to apply. And, you know, they were happy to do it. Bo is a black man who'd had a good experience at Oneonta and he told his students that they could come to Oneonta and just focus on learning and bettering themselves, you know, blah, 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 higher education. Yeah. Which is part of the brochure. Cheryl is a black woman and I don't know that she attended the school, Mm -hmm. but she'd been living in the city for 14 years. So I would guess she had and she seems to have felt the same way. She talked to prospective students and their parents and told them that SUNY Anianta was a great place to get an education. She even convinced her brother to enroll. All this is to say that by 1992, there were more than 200 black students enrolled at the university. Diversity accomplished. (laughs) Brandy, do you know the fun thing about white people deciding that a place needs to be more diverse? What? You can just add in people of color to your college or town or workplace and not change any of the systemic racism in your college or town or workplace and everything turns out fine. I don't think that's how that no, works. No, you just add in – yeah, um, because young people of color become like the guinea pigs and the white people don't have to do any extra work at all. Great. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> look on
0: your yeah, face. Yeah, sounds terrible.
1: Things were uneventful in the town until the evening of September 4th, 1992. It was about two in the morning and an elderly white woman was attacked in her home. It was dark, of course, and she wasn't wearing her glasses and she could see that the burglar had a knife. He told her, do as I say, do as I say. He kept repeating that. He told her to turn over. She later said that at that point she felt like she had nothing to lose. So she lurched and the man fell and she saw his forearm and it was dark skinned. At that point the burglar ran. What? Okay. Everyone, Brandy's making a face. That's my skeptical face. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, the burglar ran out her back door and into the woods. She said, It happened too fast for me to be terrified. I was furious. I was angry. I was violated. She hid in her room for more than four hours before she called the police. But the police showed up, and, I mean, you can't really envy them. How are they supposed to catch this guy? All they knew was that the victim said he was a black male. Interestingly... And this wasn't in her statement, but officers later claimed that she also told them that the attacker was young and that during their struggle he'd cut his own hand. Okay. Uh, okay.
0: <laughs> I thought she only could see that his forearm was a dark. How could she know that he was young? Well, the that's police could be making that up completely.
1: Oh no, those are the good guys all the time in every story I've
0: ever told. Do da,
1: do da. (laughs) All right. So they were looking for a young black male with a cut on his hand. Still not a ton to go on, so they called in the canine unit. And sure enough, that good dog tracked the attacker's scent. The dog's handler's statement indicated that the dog tracked the attacker's scent down one road and then south on East Street, away from the college campus. That's very
0: confusing. South on East Street.
1: I agree. <laughs> Thank you, Brandy. Ready for more confusing yeah,
0: stuff? Yeah. So okay. So the dog said, "Well, he didn't say because." So and they were like, "Holy, Holy shit, shit! This dog talk!" The dog indicated that uh-huh. the attacker went away from the school, but the police are going to indicate that this was a young black student at SUNY. Um, Have you heard this
1: story before? No!
0: <laughs> just picking up on a vibe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so the police would later say that the dog tracked the suspect's trail all the way to the campus. Oh, okay. That's weird because that's not what the dog just told us. <laughs> And how could it be more clear? That's right. When the dog told us. <laughs> told us. In plain English. With a British accent, no less. <laughs> I mean, we got to respect that.
0: I always joke that Oliver speaks with a British accent because he's Oh, Oliver definitely English does. Bulldog. Yes.
1: <laughs> what accents do you think Dottie and Kit have?
0: Oh, hmm.
1: That is a good question. Nothing nearly that sophisticated, no. I guarantee you. <laughs> So, yeah, as you've already said, the police made their way to the campus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They talked to campus security, who called up administrators, and after hearing everything about how they were looking for a young black male in connection with a crime, Leif Hartmark, who was the school's vice president of finance and administration— provided the police with a list. Of all the black male students? Yeah. Why does that exist? Plus their addresses. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he provided them a list of every single black male student who attended the college. There were 125 names on that list. Okay, great. And so... The police began questioning every single black male student at SUNY Oneonta. It was a strange and upsetting experience for the students. They were just going about their day as students. Hopedon Gordon said that that Saturday morning he heard someone knock on his door.
0: Hopedon Gordon? Hopedon Gordon. Mm -hmm. That is a wonderful name. I mean, yeah. (laughs) All right. Continue on. Okay. Let's hear about him being harassed by the police. (laughs) (laughs) Pause. (laughs) Pause for a compliment.
1: (laughs) On to the horrible stuff. So they knocked on the door. He said, who is it? And they said, campus security. So he opens the door, and right away they asked him to show his hands. And he's like, show my hands for what? And they said, we're investigating a crime. Hopeton was told what all the young black men were told. Show us your hands, give us your alibi, answer a few questions, or if you don't want to do that, we'll just take you down to the police station. Great. Yeah, so Hopeton, of course, showed them his hands. He didn't want trouble with the police. Mm -hmm. A freshman named Ricky Brown had a similarly disorienting experience. He saw a parked police car And I think he was walking. So as soon as he passed it, the car sped up, stopped him, and the officer asked for some ID and Ricky gave him his student ID and the officer like scratched at it and bent it and flipped it over and didn't really say anything. They just kind of stood around for a while and then asked to see Ricky's hands. So Ricky was annoyed, but he complied. Again, he didn't have a whole lot of choice. Mm -hmm. This next one kills me. Another freshman named Ray Sean Morris was like sort of just getting used to college life, not even really just getting used to it, like just like dipping his toe into it. He'd only been in the dorm for like a week. And he said that that whole week he'd just been kind of secluded because he was not used to the college environment yet, not comfortable at all. He mostly just stayed in his room. But finally one night he was like, you know what? I need to break the ice. I need to meet some people. I need to try to make some friends. So he went to, you know, whatever, the dorm next door or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he went into a room full of people he'd never met and started talking. And, you know, he's the only black guy in the room. And all of a sudden there was a knock at the door. It was the police and they asked for Sean Morris. And it freaked Sean out This was like the one time he'd left his room and he was in someone else's dorm. How did he even know he was in there? No kidding. So, you know, he goes out. They ask him to show his hands. So he's like, okay. And he remembers very vividly that if he didn't comply, they would take him down to the station. He's like, okay, well, that's the last thing I want. So he showed his hands and the officers left. (laughs) And all the people in the dorm room, when he came back in, were like, What was that about? And he's like, I have no clue. Yeah. Can you imagine you're trying to meet new people? (laughs) No! Jeez. The police kept working their way through this list. At some point, they figured out that there were some black guys on the soccer team, and the soccer team was playing a game in Pennsylvania. So they called the soccer coach, and they were like, hey, hey, do us a favor. There's been a crime. Please check all of your black players' hands for cuts. And the soccer coach was like, <laughs> no. Yeah, no. I'm absolutely not Fuck doing off. that. And the state police told him, okay, if you don't do it, then we'll do it to all of them when you guys get back. So the coach went to the players and warned them that this would happen when they got back. And sure enough, it did. Hmm. One student talked about calling his parents on a payphone, and a plainclothes officer stopped him and asked to show his hands. And he did and afterward the student started walking the five blocks back to his dorm and another cop stopped him. Oh my gosh. Because that's the fun thing about racial profiling. Yeah. You don't get to say, oh, already happened to me today.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> so all the students who were stopped and questioned complied with the officers and that was largely due to fear. They were afraid of what would happen if they didn't comply. One student said – If a cop comes up to you and you don't cooperate with him, the end result could be that you're dead. So, like, yeah, we're going to cooperate. Yeah. Another student said, if I would have reacted like, no, I'm not showing you my hands, I'm out of here, and I just started to leave, they'd have grabbed me. And I'd say, get off me, and I'd ran out of pure fear. What would have happened? Two bullets in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact. The police still hadn't caught the burglar. Mm -hmm. At some point, they started calling this person an attempted rapist. Okay. Yeah. So they decided to take their investigation up a notch. Bam! (laughs)
0: Like (laughs) Emerald.
1: I keep snotting every time you make (laughs) me laugh. And I worry that you are absolutely going to throw up.
0: <laughs> that's a real risk. <laughs> I know.
1: Uh, yeah. The police decided. Well, actually, what do you think kicking it up means in this case?
0: I don't know. Picking one individual and trying to frame them. <laughs> <laughs> like, which guy oh, yeah, on the list do we like the least? <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, that's the eventual plan, Right. <laughs> right. No, the police decided to do a citywide sweep of all of Oneonta's black male residents. Okay. (laughs) I hate this. (laughs) A police officer later told reporters that the purpose of the sweep was, quote, to examine the hands of all the black people in the community. Great. And that's how the admissions counselor, Cheryl Champin, got stopped. She was getting on a bus to visit her grandma and an officer came up to her and asked for identification and the officer explained that a black male had attempted to burglarize someone that earlier that day. And Cheryl was like, OK, well, I'm not a black man. Yeah, Cheryl is very pretty, by the way. And she was interviewed for 60 minutes and she said, even on my worst hair day, I don't look like a man. (laughs) (laughs) So she refused to show her ID. But the officer was insistent, and it was clear that this was not going to end quickly. Mm -hmm. So finally she complied. She showed him her ID. He asked to see her wrists. She's like, "Okay, fine. And when she got on the bus, people stared at her like she was a fucking criminal, and she was humiliated. Over the course of three days, police interviewed more than 300 black men. 80 of those black men were students. And, of course, some of them were stopped multiple times. Some of them weren't even men. Cheryl's brother was stopped three times. Wow. It was humiliating and scary. Cheryl said that at a certain point it felt like the police weren't even trying to figure out who committed the crime. This was just an opportunity to harass black people.
0: Hoping yeah. Hoping they'd
1: pack up and leave. Yeah.
0: And Yeah, because what is this?
1: Ugh. Okay.
0: No, go ahead. I mean, this is just not standard operating procedure for any crime. Right. You've got so little to go, Mom. Yes! This is not what you do! Yeah. I can't even understand how they thought this was okay! Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh! So
1: if they were trying to harass black people and – They were successful. Well, yeah. (laughs) And if they wanted them to leave town, I mean that was successful too. A lot of the students were like, no, I'm gone. Yeah. I mean some of these students had been there for like a week. Bo, the counselor at SUNY, said that when he came into work the morning following Labor Day weekend, there were three students there waiting for him. They wanted to tell him that they were dropping out. Mm Mm-hmm. So Bo got a little caught up to speed on what was going on. Like he didn't know the full scope. Yeah. But he was like, okay, okay, hang on a second. Uh, Let's go down and talk to John Edmondson. He was the director of campus security. Mm -hmm. So the four went down to John's office and Bo said, John, what's going on? And Bo said in this documentary, and I swear to God. John Edmondson, director of security, looked at me and he went, I'm going I'm going I'm going I'm going I'm going I'm going to, I'm not, <laughs> Like Jackie <genuinely. laughs> Gleason. <laughs> and Bo, who's, I mean, Bo is like the amazing hero of the documentary. Mm-hmm. He just said, oh, wow. John, stop. You got to call somebody. Yeah. You got to call somebody. Who do you call? A lawyer, maybe? Yeah, I, don't I don't know. I don't even know. Your minister, I, you know, who do you need to, <laughs> what do you need to do at this point? But Bo was like, okay, you know, Ugh. you know you've done yeah. something horrible. So he got the three students and left. As the day progressed, more of these stories came out, and it became clear that the police had been given a list of all the black males on campus. And this was a huge violation. Yes! <laughs> I'm not disagreeing, Brandy.
0: <laughs> How did that even happen in the fucking first place?
1: How do you think it happened? Oh, fucking white people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah, we'll we'll get to more okay, of that. Okay, tell us more. <laughs> Bo got a call from Leaf Hartmark. Vice President of Finance and Administration, and he wanted to set up a meeting to discuss what had happened. Bo asked the president of the college, Alan Donovan, if he was going to attend the meeting. And he said, no, this is Hartmark's baby. So...
0: The president of the university is not going to be there? Oh, he could be bothered. No, no. Oh, OK. Well, this is a really big deal. No. That's happening at your... No, no, no. Your university. So you should probably fucking be there.
1: No, this, this, you should rise to the level
0: of mm, a college president. It 100% does. Also, let's talk about why this list, number one, exists. Why this, number two, why this list was given to the police. Mm -hmm. Just like handing over. Just trying to be helpful. No. Just trying to be a good guy.
1: There was a crime. Other students might have been at risk, Brandy.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were at risk of being harassed by the police. Yeah. So they had this meeting, and
1: Bo was there, and Leif was there, and so were some other faculty and staff and a bunch of the students who'd been on the list. And Leif admitted that he'd given the police a list with all of the black men's names on it. And he was a little defensive about it. Oh, was he? And, of course, people were upset with him. Yeah, you think? And Bo whistled to get everyone quieted down and Leaf said, Hey, hey, we're not here to point fingers at anybody. And this professor (laughs) named Ralph Watkins got out of his chair and he said, We're pointing our fingers at you. You did this. Yeah. But. What leaf say to that? He probably pooped himself. I don't know. You know, they moved
0: on to he another. Make like a tree and leave.
1: leaf. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, Brandy. Taking accountability sucks. So leaf just wasn't super interested. Uh, okay. <laughs> And the school president, Alan Donovan, was interviewed by the media and he was basically like, well, yeah, when Leaf did that, he was in violation of the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act. But, you know, he probably didn't know he was violating it. Mm -hmm. He probably
0: should know that that's a violation. It's probably a big part of his job.
1: Yeah. So there – even I know this dumb shit. (laughs) There are are certain things that you can give out as a school and it's like A person's name. I think it's like whether they currently attend. I mean, it's very limited information. Yeah. Their race and their address, I don't think, is it. I, I wouldn't guess. Those are,
0: yeah, on the list of things that are okay.
1: Word got out about what had happened to so many black people in Oneonta, and the police were proud. What they'd done was good police work. No, it's not. They were very proud, Brandy. Okay, well, they're fucking wrong. (laughs) Uh, Worth noting, this investigation was done by the state police. The city police chief was interviewed and he was like, I would have never done that. (laughs)
0: That's nuts. That's not how you investigate a crime. No.
1: No. You are humiliating and alienating a, a group within your community. Yeah. How do you not see how that's clearly going to do more harm than good? So there was this indifference on the part of the administration, and the students were pissed. Students of all races banded together to protest the school's participation in racial profiling. They held these big, well-attended rallies. They held signs that read, Protect civil rights for all. Justice, not just us. Heart mark missed the mark. Ooh. You ready for my personal favorite? Yes. It's not a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's a human thing, and you
0: will understand. That's too that's too much on a <laughs> sign, Kristen. <laughs> that's so many words. It's too many words on oh, no. sign. You should have seen yeah. how small. They saying, that's that. too many words on the sign.
1: I mean, you got a real winner here. Justice, not just us. Yeah. And then you've got, it's not a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's a human thing. And you will understand. My
0: God, that's too much. <laughs> How big was that size? <laughs> not that big! <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've got another appearance here by Rashawn Morris. He's the guy who had just wanted to go socialize. Yeah. Well... He went to the rally, and ironically, he made a lot of friends at the rally. Okay, and you know, he said this was a terrible experience, but he did make a lot of good friends All through good, it. Oh, good,
0: Rayshawn. I'm yeah. very happy for
1: you. At one of these rallies, a speaker invited the college president to come address the students, and you know, they applauded for him. They were yeah. Polite. Did he actually come this time? Um, he did make an appearance. Are you ready for what he said to the students? No, I'm probably not. <laughs> Prepare to be inspired. I you don't think douche. I will be. <laughs> Here's what he said. I don't have anything prepared. I'm sorry. I'm primarily being here to listen to your concerns. I will not give you any answers at this point. Obviously, we have a serious problem. I am inspired <laughs> to sit there and do nothing. To kick this guy right in the butthole. <laughs> People started yelling out, what are you going to do? Yeah, fucking do something. And he said, I'm going to talk and I'm going to listen. Okay. And
0: I'm going to breathe. <laughs> and I'm I going mean, I, that includes inhaling and <laughs> exhaling both. And I plan to do them about the same amount. <laughs> Someone
1: from the crowd yelled, take some action you have power yeah
0: and alan just walked away from the microphone oh my gosh
1: heroic no (laughs) i guess he was gonna do some more listening okay how is this your response yeah one of your vps does something this egregious yeah And your response is like, I'm basically too important Mm -hmm. to attend any of these meetings with the students. Yeah. He goes to a rally. He's unprepared to speak to anybody about Mm -hmm. this issue. What a fucking dumbass. Yeah. Anyway. At one point, some of the students from the blacklist tried to meet with Leaf to talk to him. They went and knocked on his office door, and he just didn't come out. Nobody's here! <laughs> <laughs> Leaf made like a tree! <laughs> the, the guy, I mean, he's, you know, long graduated now, but he, he like, went and, like, kind of reenacted, and he was like, it was the weirdest thing. Like, we were knocking, trying to talk to him. And he just wouldn't come to the door. And he was like, you know, this guy put my name Mm -hmm. on a list. He allowed the police to come harass Harass me. Yeah, he couldn't just sit down and talk with me? Yeah, I think Leif was real busy that day. (laughs) 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 One of the things that people kept mentioning in the documentary was that what Leif Hartmark did was part of a larger systemic problem. You know, this wasn't all on him. Yeah. They also said that if he just apologized, this probably would have gone away. But he didn't. Great. Just took no
0: responsibility for what he did. Well,
1: not exactly. So the closest he came was he sent a letter to all the 125 students on the blacklist. Mm -hmm. And it was like it was referred to as an apology letter. But when the students read it, it's like, like, it was well, really this. hard to find the <laughs> apology. <laughs> <laughs> they basically said, you know, it kind of felt like it would it had been drafted by a lawyer mm-hmm. um, and it seemed like it had been written so that he could avoid admitting wrongdoing. Yeah. Um, so I've got part of the letter. OK. Do you want to hear? Yeah. OK. So here's what part of it said. You were one of the black male students identified on the list. While this request for information was received and processed by two separate college offices, the authorization to release this information to the state police was given by me. As I stated publicly on Wednesday, I soon realized that releasing this information was a mistake. I can honestly say that I did not know at the time that the information would be used as it was, and I did not fully think through the possible ramifications of this decision. I regret that lapse in judgment and I can assure you that this will not happen again. I realize that this investigation by outside law enforcement agencies has caused a great deal of embarrassment, anxiety, and outrage for many of the students involved. I sincerely regret this affront to your personal dignity and any pain or disruption this may have caused you or your family. As far as shitty apologies goes, I don't think it's the worst. It's
0: not. It's not great.
1: Well, and I think also timing is so key. Mm-hmm. When this comes this late, yeah, no kidding.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you would have said these things publicly, like immediately after, or like say when someone came to your office, mm-hmm. and also I would think,
1: what what happened here? was so big for each of these students, would it have killed you to meet with them individually right. if, they yeah. w- if they want yeah. and apologize sincerely Absolutely. there or maybe like work on yourself a little? Yeah. Anyway, this was now a major news story. And so after a week of rallies, President Alan Donovan decided that Leaf's punishment would be one month's suspension without pay – And he'd be demoted to Director of Finance and Administration, which sounds so embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Safety Director John Edmondson retired. But the students wanted to be assured that this couldn't happen again. So they banded together. They formed a group called the Brothers of the Blacklist. And they looked themselves in the mirror and they said, Let's go to court! On October 2, 1992, they had their first meeting. They asked the New York Civil Liberties Union to investigate what happened to them. Attorney Scott Fine agreed to work for the students pro bono. Initially, their goal was pretty straightforward. They wanted Scott to speak to the state police and the governor's office about this not happening again. So Scott did that. He said that the governor's office was extraordinarily empathetic. They seemed to totally get it. The state police, not so much. They hadn't done anything wrong. Here's a genuine, douchey
0: quote from the police. They didn't see anything wrong with what they did.
1: No. Okay, great. Truly, truly, not one bit. Wow. You ready for the quote? No. (laughs) Short of the insensitivity that's being perceived on the part of the students. Fuck (laughs) off! I don't feel that our investigative avenues were in violation of anybody's constitutional rights. They sure fucking were. Yet you went after these kids because of their race. Yeah. By the way. Shortly after all this news came out, the Aryan Brotherhood came to town and began harassing black students. And if you're wondering if the state police were like, oh, no, the Aryan Brotherhood is on our side. Does this mean we're on the wrong side? No, they don't appear to have thought about that at all. Okay, That's neat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On February,
0: what? I don't even know. This is terrible. I they can't <sighs> okay. All right. They can't what? Just acknowledge that they that yeah, they made a mistake. This is not the way you investigate a crime ever.
1: Again. They were proud of the police work they'd done. <sighs> well, that's <a> fucking problem. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. On February 2nd, 1993, this lawsuit became official. The brothers of the blacklist, along with some other people who were questioned by the police, joined together in a lawsuit against state and local officials and the school. They said that the university and the police had violated their Fourth Amendment rights and they'd violated the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution, plus a shit ton of other stuff, including basic human decency. They didn't say that part. I said it yeah. now. huh. At a press conference, attorney Scott Fine announced that the students were seeking a tuition waiver. Not for the students themselves, but so that each student could designate someone from their home community who, if they met admission requirements, could attend a state university in New York for free. He told the crowd, You might say, What an odd request, but there's a reason for it. This is the collective judgment of the students. That is... This has to be remembered. There has to be a legacy. This can't happen again and shouldn't have in 1992. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But the judge in the case was a real wet blanket and was like, Yeah, you can't sue for future scholarships. So that didn't happen. Okay. But,
0: okay. Couldn't you sue for. like you determine the monetary equivalent of that, and that goes into a fund that then funds the. It See, seems like there would be a way to do that. I, that's that's what drives me nuts about
1: this, is like, I think if you're the state, and that's what they're asking for, yeah,
0: you're like, okay, great, wonderful, let's wrap this up, and sure thing, here we're here's the here's the foundation that we've established here it's now fully funded for you know I feel like that'd be a really easy thing to Yeah, I mean it would cost something but
1: probably not as much as a yeah. lawsuit's going to cost you. Yeah. And also if you're truly sorry for what you did, which you should be. Yeah. Then what a great way to try to make it right. Yeah. Unless you don't actually want to make it right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That is the thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> At this point, we must hit pause because I need to tell you that this case became the longest continually litigated civil rights case in the history of America. Really? Yes. Oh, I bet that's boring. <laughs> goes on and on and on. <laughs> This was argued at the federal level, at the state level. And so I must remind you that time is a construct, Brandy. And I will be using my fast forward button Wonderful. quite frequently okay, because great. mama's got 14 years to blow through. <laughs> 14 years? Yes! You're 14 years. Me. 14 fucking years. They could have given people a bunch of scholarships, but no, they did this for 14 years assholes had
0: to be way cheaper to just do the four the 125 scholarships or whatever right? right
1: and maybe you can feel better about yourself exactly like
0: all right something terrible happened here and but- we're making go- something good out of it yeah and 125 students will now get to get to go to college for free and maybe they wouldn't have been able to do that before yeah holy shit, but no, we're just going to fucking dig our heels in and fight this for 14 years? hmm I can't even tell you how much that might cost. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a lot.
1: Oh, it is. <laughs> in December of 1993, the district court dismissed the plaintiff's equal protect- protection claim. And their
0: protection. Protection claim. Yeah, so, which, people, so few people take the time to talk about a protection. <laughs> and I'm not
1: really going to go into it because oh, we okay. all know what it means. Obviously, The court basically said that the Equal Protection Clause essentially says that all people in a similar situation need to be treated alike. And the court dismissed the claim because the plaintiffs had failed to allege that a similarly situated class of non-minorities had been treated differently from them in the past.
0: Right, because there's no history of racism in the United States. The students didn't give up.
1: They appealed this decision, and the Court of Appeals upheld the lower court's decision and took it a little further. Because what's the point of being half a douche? They said that racial profiling was essentially totally fine as long as it was efficient. They wrote that it could have a disparate impact on small minority groups, but... Meh. They also wrote that in a, quote, primarily black community with very few white residents and the search were for a young white male, the impact would be reversed. So there you go. You know, that could happen. No. No equal stuff Okay. This was and probably still is a pretty popular opinion amongst white people. One guy, a white as the driven snow and who had the most nasally voice you've ever heard in your life, was interviewed for 60 minutes and here's what he said. I was brought up in the suburbs and I see a policeman as somebody that's always been helpful to be, somebody that I can rely on. How are your civil rights violated by cooperating in a police investigation and answering a few questions? If you didn't commit the crime, you don't have anything to worry about. You know, I wouldn't consider my rights violated if they came to me and got a list of white people and asked me.
0: Thoughts? Comments? Um, Concerns? Okay, well, you've just defined white privilege. Uh Uh-huh.  … … that you've never had to be afraid of the police. Yeah. … because of the color of your skin. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think this is the problem when so many of the, the administrators are white, mm-hmm. when so many judges are white, yeah. so many police officers are white is like … Yeah, you might say, well, you know, if they were looking for, you know, a tall white person, I wouldn't be offended. Well, that's never going to happen to you. And you have a lifelong history of only pleasant experiences with the cops. So you really have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. That guy's single. Shocking. I was just guessing. (laughs) The court also said that for there to be a claim of an equal protection violation, the plaintiffs needed to show that they were intentionally discriminated against. And the evidence didn't show intentional discrimination. The police were just going on what the victim told them, that she'd been attacked by a black male. What were they supposed to do? Not treat every black male like a criminal? Yes. Well, okay, maybe, but the court also said that it was not their job to determine whether the police had acted appropriately. It was just their job to determine whether they'd violated the law. So don't be mad at them, Brandy. Okay. I have a real issue with that intentional discrimination thing. Uh huh. Because I think most discrimination isn't intentional.
0: Yeah, you're probably right.
1: Like. That Leaf guy, I bet you he didn't think, oh, I'm going to do something super racist right now right?" and it's going to have a terrible impact on these students. Mm -hmm. They're going to be afraid for their lives. Yeah. But it was still racist. Absolutely. The effect was still racist. Yeah. And I think that's such a problem. Like if we're living in this racist-ass society – Mm-hmm. then we don't need to worry about intentions. Yeah. It just is racist. Yeah. Anyway, after the verdict, Elliot Spitzer said, you know what? We won the case, but it makes your skin crawl. Great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. What you thinking? I don't know.
1: <laughs> A lot of thoughts about Elliot Spitzer. <laughs> yeah. Once again, the students kept moving forward, and even though they'd suffered a lot of defeats... Which I, one's Elliot Spitzer? Isn't he the, the hooker guy? Or? Yeah, right? I think I'm... You know what? I think I'm mixing him up with Anthony Weiner or Carlos Danger.
0: He, he's not the dong outline guy?
1: No, that's Anthony Weiner. Oh, damn! How dare you?
0: Elliot Spitzer is... He is the... the...
1: He, he did the high-end call gals.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right? Let's see. Prostitution scandal. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Patronized a high-priced escort service called Emperor's Club VIP. (laughs) That's too many things.
1: (laughs) I think you should just be Emperor's Club because when you add on the VIP, it sounds like you're trying to, you know, make it something Is not.
0: What do you think it's not? (laughs) Well, it's like – if I... If everybody who comes there is a VIP, it's not who comes there. I shouldn't have said that. Well, they better come there. They're paying for it. <laughs> you're right.
1: It's like if I said you looked super fancy and beautiful and, you know, blah, 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 don't you think at a certain point you'd be like, you're adding on too much? What's, yeah, you Why is your face? I'm trying
0: to figure out who his wife is. Is he the one with the hot wife?
1: They all have hot wives. Yeah. <laughs> And the hot wives have to stand at that fucking press conference and be like, oh, I support my husband. Yeah. This isn't humiliating. She's not. She is hot, but she's not the one I was thinking of. Who She's are very you thinking? beautiful. You were thinking of Anthony, Anthony Weiner's Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> um, she's incredibly beautiful. Yeah, she
0: is. <laughs> her hair. I would kill for her oh, hair. Her hair is amazing. <laughs> hmm Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to take us on a... Tangent here with Elliot Spitzer. Yeah. Mm. You think about Elliot Spitzer's dong right now? What do you. No, I know nothing about his
1: dong, but I can tell you a lot about the outline of, of Anthony, Anthony Weiner's dong. <laughs> Look at you. Look at you. See, I still uh, love that he went by Carlos Danger. Carlos
0: Danger! Yeah. <laughs>
1: Which is less overtly sexual than his actual that name? Exactly.
0: <laughs> you just put a little apostrophe s yes in there, and you got yourself a really nice name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> if you were going to create like a high-end prostitution ring, what would you call it? Mm.
0: Mm.
1: Oh, you got you got one. What is it? <laughs>
0: No, it's stupid. I was trying to do like a play on booty, like bootiful. Uh-huh. But then I, I don't really know That where is, that from is there. really stupid. Yeah, what do you got?
1: Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know I, I came up with an idea, but then I realized I think it's an actual thing. Uh-huh. The Emerald Club. I think it sounds classy, but isn't that like an airlines like you –
0: Oh, probably. Yeah, it's (laughs) Anyway, I would like to be the first class lounge.
1: (laughs) You show up to the Emerald Club thinking you'll have a cocktail and maybe some pretzels. In reality. Just tits everywhere. (laughs) Tits everywhere.
0: (laughs) What if if that worked the other way? What if you showed up to the first class lounge Uh at the airport and you walk in and there's tits everywhere? I think people would be thrilled. Yeah, I would I would be thrilled. Yeah. They're like they really kicked this up a notch, like <laughs> Emerald, bam! Oh my God. What would you do if you met Emerald? <sighs> I would
1: You'd die. I would. It would just be the would, end. My life's peaked. <laughs> what if you walked into a room, Emerald's there, with pretzels he just made surrounded by titties?
0: <laughs> <laughs> my soul would leave my body. <laughs> Could they be like soft pretzel, like soft pretzels? I uh, thought that you were talking about the titties. titties. No. <laughs> yeah, of course they're soft. It's, he didn't. He's it's not, not yeah. like the yeah
1: rolled gold rolled or
0: <laughs> Snyder's of Hanover.
1: Yeah, no, none of that shit. Yeah, the soft pretzel time pretzels with mm-hmm. the cheese sauce with all, all the sauces. Yeah, even though we all know you'd only want the cheese sauce, but you yeah. know
0: I like a little mustard here and there. But I don't want it to be a grainy mustard. <laughs> oh my God. I don't like the texture. <laughs> if Emerald Handmade. made it. Yes, that Emerald <laughs> Chris, And That's the name of your titty club. <laughs> <laughs> Emerald's Emerald Club. That's the name of my high-end. <laughs>
1: Alright, we gotta get Emerald on the phone. <laughs> Emerald, you don't have to do any work. It's gonna be just like Guy Fieri's this restaurant in time. <laughs> <laughs> just have to lend us your face. We're gonna give you some rolled gold. <laughs> and you just have to say you made these. <laughs>
0: anyway. <laughs>
1: Oh, well, how did we get here? Oh, Elliot Spitzer—that uh, Spitzer, was my fault. Yeah. I brought him up. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So at this point in time, public opinion was starting to go against racial profiling. People were like, mm, "I don't know about this." Mm, Seems like, like we it sucks.
0: Do racial profiling? Right. Yes. That'll yeah. Great.
1: Uh, what year is it? Well, wait for it, wait for <sighs> it. Um, the Justice Department under George W. Bush had already taken a public stand against racial profiling. Can you believe that shit? Wow. It looked like the practice was on the verge of being outlawed, Brandy. So, the students appealed all the way to the United States. Supreme Supreme Court! Court! This was the time. This was their chance. America was listening. Racial profiling is wrong. Uh Uh-oh. Did I mention that this case went up for consideration 10 days after 9-11? Oh, yikes. As you may recall, after 9-11, racial profiling had a moment. People
0: hated brown people. Mm -hmm. Great. And like everybody was just fine with
1: that. (laughs) Yep, civil rights (laughs) were out of style. Uh, For some people anyway, white people always look great in civil rights. (laughs) Any hooters? The Supreme Court declined to hear I think the case.
0: Anybody says
1: any hooters? I do at the Emerald Club. Anytime we want to change the subject, any hooters? You know, <laughs> on to the next thing. New tits appear.
0: Oh, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta write these things down.
1: We are recording it. Okay. What if you want to see a, a new dong? What's, what would that be? Uh, hmm. 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 Ding-a-ling-dong! And then you kind of like wave goodbye to the fella.
0: <laughs> no, maybe you say like ring-a-ding-dong! And oh, they, yeah. Uh, in pops. In, in pops a new dong. Yeah. So at, at the Emerald Club, you're getting both titties and dongs, huh? Yeah. Oh, okay. Why wouldn't you? I don't know that that's offered a lot of places currently. So, Mm, do you think my
1: Emerald Club would go out of business because that's just not a thing people (laughs) want?
0: In general, (laughs) I think people enjoy looking at tits more than they enjoy looking at dongs.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could probably just go to your local library and see some guy
0: with his dong out.
1: So maybe we don't need that at the Emerald Club. You know what we'll do? We'll start with titties. Yeah. And see what the demand is We could is do like. like a
0: Wednesday dong night and see. Yes.
1: Yeah. And it's just a bunch of guys who are there that want to show their dongs. <laughs> Nobody like, wants to look. what this is, <laughs> sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. You know, it's unbelievable to me just being part of this conversation, knowing that we have a successful business together. <laughs> <laughs> what would be the location for the Emerald Club? I realize I'm thinking about it in an airport. So like, nice. Yeah.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Maybe we can make it airport themed, but it doesn't have to actually be in an airport because nobody likes to go to the airport. So why would you want a theme with because the airport? Because it fits the
1: I'm thinking. I
0: I like the idea of it being themed in like, I don't know, like the dudes are dressed up like pilots, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the air is circulated. No, <laughs> and um, everyone's in a really small the chair. The seats
0: are tiny <laughs> with no legroom. <laughs> Try getting a laptop in that thing.
1: The bathrooms are
0: disgusting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and you'll ask for a coke and i'll give you half of one right in my fantasy i am working behind the bar
0: okay great <laughs> because you're a manager who like you're a, you're an owner who's willing to get her hands dirty right absolutely yeah and i want to be the one to yell any hooters <laughs>
1: <laughs> you think i'm going to give that power to someone else you're wrong maybe emerald bam Anyway, should we get back to this? Okay, where the hell were we? Oh, yes, any hooters, the Supreme Court declined to hear the case. <laughs>
0: okay, great. Dingling
1: dong. Dingling dong. Mm-hmm. They were done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was beautiful. Yes. So let's go back to state court and slide back through time a little bit. In the mid-90s, a New York court ruled that you could sue for monetary damages if your civil liberties were violated. So about four years after this whole thing started, the students won the right to sue the state. You know what I think? What? I think this episode, we started out so heavy that we had to take a break. I think so. And um, brainstorm. Yeah. All right. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. It was necessary. It needed to happen.
1: It It was bound to happen. Yes. Fun fact. By this point, all the brothers of the blacklist had graduated. And once that happened, President Donovan reinstated Leif Hartmark as the VP of Finance and Administration. So So I'm sure he really learned his lesson. I I have reason to believe he absolutely did. Yeah. (laughs) So don't worry. He landed on his feet. Mm. That wasn't the case for – all of the students who'd been on that list, though. Yeah. Some of them left school entirely. Cheryl Champin was devastated by what happened. She said it tarnished her reputation as an admissions counselor. She said, I promised these parents that their kids would be okay, and they weren't. Mm-hmm. She left her job the next semester and moved to Maryland. Wow. Ricky Brown, who was one of the named plaintiffs, graduated SUNY and went to Boston College School of Law. And after law school, he failed the bar exam. Ricky was very discouraged. He thought about giving up on being an attorney. But attorney Scott Fine, who by this point had been in his life for years, was like, no, you have to pass the bar. Scott's law firm took on the costs of Ricky's bar exam and gave him enough money to take time off work so that he could study. Wow. And when it came time for this state trial, Scott Fine made Ricky Brown the second chair during the trial. Oh my gosh. He was part of the team. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. How about some bad
0: stuff now? Oh, uh, no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> <Pass>. <laughs>
1: uh, any hooters. Yeah. It's <laughs> just on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to say that on this podcast any time I don't want to hear what you're talking about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Testimony on this case went on for about a month and at that point the judge dismissed the class action lawsuit. Really? So the plaintiffs got whittled down to just a few people and those few people, they got some money but not much. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: By the time it was all said and done, they'd been dealing with this shit for 14 years. Yeah. Scott Fine and his law firm had done all the work pro bono and that was a good thing because if they hadn't, it would have cost about $1.5 million, which honestly seems on the low low side. Seems very low. At some point in all this, 60 Minutes obtained some of the police records from the original investigation and that's how it came out that in her original statement, the victim never said anything about her attacker being young or having a cut on his hand. That's also how it came out that the dog handler said that the dog had tracked the attacker running away from the school. So, you know, that was disturbing. Mm-hmm. And what made it even more disturbing was that it fit into a larger pattern.
0: Shocking. No yeah. one saw that coming.
1: Well, I, you're going to need to buckle up for this oh, next sure. part. Okay. <laughs> Click. So this is Ringing
0: dog. <laughs> <laughs>
1: any hooters that's me bringing it back in you can't ring a ding dong me this is very interesting this investigation had been handled by state police troop c and trooper david harding was part of state police troop c and at some point the cia interviewed him for a job you know he's all happy to be there oh Going to give all the impressive answers. And as part of that interview, they asked him if he was willing to break the law for his country. And he said yes. And as an example, he told them that he had a history of fabricating evidence in cases where he was sure that they'd
0: captured the guilty party. How confident do you have to be that that is the right answer? Mm hmm to offer up that information oh, if they asked me that I'd be like absolutely not I follow all the rules 100% of the time and I would assume that's the answer they're looking for I
1: wouldn't necessarily with the CIA
0: yeah I mean you're right obviously <laughs> okay for real though
1: how would you answer is that that's how that's you that's absolutely
0: how I'd answer it
1: see I feel like I look at the rules, and if I think a rule is stupid, I don't follow it.
0: Yeah, I don't do that.
1: I know you don't. I
0: follow all the rules.
1: <laughs> um, oral sex was illegal in Virginia until
0: 2014. <laughs> well, I've never been to Virginia. So. Well, you know, Kansas has to have some <laughs> crazy ass sure rules. I'm sure do. you've
1: done things that are against the law. That's probably true. I'll tell you, the Emerald Club would be violating a lot of laws. <laughs> And you're going to have to be
0: okay with that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not real comfortable with that. <laughs> so he thought that the CIA
1: would be super impressed by his answer. They weren't. Yeah. They handed that information over to the Department of Justice. I mean, the thing is, like, for him to be that confident in that answer, that just shows that
0: it everyone so around him. It exactly. Yeah,
1: everyone around him was part of this. approved of it, knew about it. Yes. So, yeah, they ask him that question, and he thinks, well, of course. Yeah. This is how we do
0: it. This
1: is how we do do it. it. We are super
0: racist.
1: (laughs) We plant fingerprints. (laughs) This is how we do it. We sprinkle cocaine. (laughs) You know what? It makes me want to give up on our dream of that business. Now we'll just sing full time.
0: I love it. All the time. <laughs> what if we have karaoke night at the Emerald
1: Club? <laughs> it would be just us. People <laughs> would leave. They'd keep trying to any Hooters us out hooters? of their ears. <laughs> Bring a ding dong! <laughs> But if they think that would stop us, <laughs> they're, wrong. they're wrong. And we'd be like those business owners in every episode of Kitchen Nightmares where we're the only patrons at the place and we can't figure out why we're losing 50 grand a day. <laughs> it's just me slamming martinis while using American Pie at the karaoke.
0: <laughs> anyway. we have to eat all the pretzels that never makes
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's surprisingly
0: insecure what you guys don't like him?
1: <laughs> you liked these yesterday I you don't like them today I I tried a new recipe.
0: <laughs> Bam! I kicked it up with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god! Oh no! <laughs> you know, I feel like it's been a while since we did one of these episodes where it stays on the rails for a really mm. long time, and then we're just like it's- we're getting toward the end, and we're just all over the place. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, I can't even see the rails anymore? <laughs> <laughs> just a mound of pretzels Mm -hmm. so this was a big scandal and it could be several episodes on its own yada 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 david and a few of his buddies went to prison oh my gosh well yeah i mean well yeah yeah literally lifted fingerprints from when somebody was like in custody and And planted them mm -hmm. oh for fuck's sake So, yeah, the bottom line was that this group of investigators sucked balls. So, in this episode of 60 Minutes. <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> I'm very sorry. <laughs> That's what the court said.
0: <laughs> in the official court record, is mm-hmm.
1: it? when they sentenced him to prison, they were like, well, you suck <laughs> you balls. Suck
0: balls. there'll be bloody in there for you to suck that's what they said Kristen (laughs) don't look at me like that
1: do you think that's what people want
0: (laughs) (laughs) what do you
1: mean these prisoners like a new inmate comes into prison and the guy's like I can't wait for him to suck my balls well probably yeah (laughs)
0: I mean I don't think they'd turn him down. <laughs> they wouldn't any hooter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so in this episode of Sixty Minutes, they interviewed this girl this guy, Carl Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry a state police investigator with Troop C. And they asked him about some of the discrepancies between what was in the signed statements and you know what they presented to the court and the media and anyone who would listen. And the interviewer specifically asked him about what the victim said about her attacker. He said, she said he was a black male, but she doesn't say he's young. And Carl said, my guess would be that she told me that. And when I take statements, I did not put in speculation and things of this nature. So then they had this awful moment where the interviewer goes, Did you hesitate for a moment and think, you know, we just can't lay out a dragnet for every black man at the university? No
0: fucking shit.
1: And Carl said,
0: no, didn't even occur to me.
1: He said, it occurred to me that I could. (laughs)
0: No, <laughs> what I said, I just spit yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So,
1: this was an egregious case of racial profiling, and people fought to stop it from happening, and you know it just didn't work out. Yeah. On the twenty-year anniversary of the Blacklist incident, the school held a day of commemoration. A ton of people came, and Cornell West spoke, and it looked like a very moving event. But the school never formally invited any of the men who'd actually been on the list. That seems like the
0: first thing you do. Right.
1: So I want to end with a quote from Thurgood Marshall, and it's the quote that appears at the beginning of the documentary. And I just think, I mean, it sums it up. It reads, History teaches that grave threats to liberty often come in times of urgency when constitutional rights seem too extravagant to endure. When we allow fundamental freedoms to be sacrificed in the name of real or perceived exigency, we invariably come to regret it. Mm. So one of the students who was interviewed said he feels like what happened in 1992 was, is honestly even more likely to happen today. Yeah. 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 And that's the story of the blacklist. I had never heard of this oh case. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that wild? Yeah. <sighs> oh, man. You know what we should do now? What should we do? Write up a
0: business plan. <laughs> For the Emeralds Emerald Club? Or or we could just take questions from our Discord. What do you think about that? We could also
1: do that, Yeah. <laughs> and to get
0: in our Discord, you just have to support us on Patreon at the $5 level or higher. Ooh, One semester asks, is London hitting the terrible twos? My daughter will be three next week and I want to pull my hair out. So London is definitely developing some attitude.
1: Hmm, I wonder where she got that.
0: <clears throat> no idea. Okay, so last week, literally last Wednesday, I was, like, f- reading through my case, finishing mm-hmm. it up, and London was playing, and I heard her go into the bathroom, and she came out with nail polish remover that uh-huh. she had pulled from, like, the basket under the sink. And I was like, oh, give that to Mama. And so she didn't want to. She said no. Yeah, because it's hers. And she and I was like <laughs> – And she indicated that she was going to put it back. And I was like, no. Because you said, no, you can't have it anymore. And so I took it from her and she grabbed both hands around the nail polish remover as hard as she could. And she said, London, do it. (laughs) Were you intimidated? I was not. And I looked at her and I said, absolutely not. And I took the nail polish remover from her. And then she said, she looked at me very sad. And then she the rue herself mm-hmm. onto the couch and she said London cry couch and that is why this Christmas I'm giving her all the nail polish removers she wants <laughs> Ooh, Winston the Corgi asks if you had to be Alice in Wonderland would you rather shrink into the tiny bottle or grow so big you're popping out of the house Okay. So I would shrink down tiny because I (laughs) – do other people do this? Okay. All All the time. time. (laughs) Okay. I will, like, snuggle up to David. Uh Uh-huh. We, like, cuddle. And then I say to him all the time, I wish I was real tiny and I could fit in your pocket and you could just carry me around all day. And then he's really sweet and he says, I would love that. (laughs) You fucking I could just weirdos. Look down in my pocket and you're just in there hanging out. I think that sounds terrible
1: to be tiny. Really? You're so vulnerable. Someone could step on you. Well, that's like true. me when I become a giant. Because <laughs> I would definitely become a you giant. You would become a giant? Hell yeah. What would you do? Giant stuff? I would get David to wear a giant shirt with a giant <laughs> pocket and I'd crawl into it. Because he has also told me that he would enjoy that. He did not. (laughs) (laughs)
0: He only wants to carry me around in his pocket. No, what would I do? You never asked Norm, like, if one day you woke up and you were super tiny, if he'd carry you around in his pocket with him? No. Is that not the thing people ask people? I have never.
1: (laughs) I have thought, now... (laughs) You know, because I'm tall, like, I have thought many times about how great it must be to be, like, 5'2". Yeah. With, like, a normal-sized man. I mean, you'd feel like a teddy bear, right? Yeah. I would feel adorable if I was 5'2". <laughs> yeah, so I have thought a lot about that, but I would not want to be shrunken down to pocket oh, size because of the lo- vulnerability. I would just
0: love I- – Dave would take care of me. I just love to break right around How his do you pocket know? all day long. How's he going
1: to find out you've been shrunken down? You'll be on the floor screaming, help, and he's squish. <laughs> Death by
0: crock. <laughs> 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 now We're going to have to work out a system now that I, <laughs> I can alert him that <laughs> I've been shrunken <laughs> down.
1: Ooh, cheeks are the butt of the face. Says we hear a lot about you guys when you were kids, but what about for when you get old? Any plans/slash dreams for your golden years? Yes. What do you got? Here's the plan. Okay. You, me, Kyla, Casey. We all live in a retirement community. Oh, we have our own little apartments, so we have yeah. our space. And you know, because Casey and I aren't having kids, so you know, the kids will come yeah. visit. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I imagine we'll get into QVC. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like. And there will be some little events, maybe movie night, maybe Turner Classic Movies mm-hmm. will play Jumanji or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds amazing! I love this You ready for it? <laughs> Casey and Kyla, please clear your schedules. Okay, this is a real this is a real thinker here, okay. and something we've got to make a plan for. Michael, the full meaty boy, asks, "How are you going to do your live taping at Obsess Fest if you can't go?" Patty, cut that to cover up all of Kristen's filthy thoughts. Oh my God, I'm so nervous about it. <laughs> I I have thought about that. <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, am I just going to be totally nervous the whole time I, and well, not say what, shit? We have
0: to stay away from Disney adults. Which yeah, literally away. Fucking freaks. Anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Stay away from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so can't mention Disney adults. No. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I mean Hmm. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. It is. It is going to be tough. <laughs> I mean, if I say something that doesn't land, I'm just going to have to
0: ask them to forget it. We have one of those Men in Black, like mm-hmm. mind eraser things. That's exactly what we'll do. Yes. <laughs> Dop and Dits ask Do audiobooks count as reading? Fuck yes, they do. I'm listening to Verity right now, and mm-hmm. I will 100% tell people when I am done that I read Verity. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Pretty. also, who else has read Verity? Because holy shit. Right here. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I'm all creeped out by it. I have discovered I can't really do a book that's just all horror all yeah. the way through. Yeah. I can't be tight butthole just continuously.
0: I'm a slow reader. So it's it's tight butthole all day. way <laughs> too long. Also, I mean, we have joked about this before that, like, for women, porn is just like, a regular book. Mm-hmm. There's so much sex in this book. Yeah. Holy shit. And
1: see, my butthole titans there, too. <laughs> so it's that's what I'm saying. It's so much. <laughs> that's my Colleen Hoover. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. All right.
0: Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, mean, Colleen Hoover. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another one from Dappenditz here. She says, Kristen... Brandy did a big case, Jody Arias. What big case will you be doing? When will you be doing a two-parter? The case of the shut up. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. uh, <laughs>
1: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It would probably be on something that no one has asked for. Mm. Like well, Abraham Kristen's, Lincoln's Kristen's assassination. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, never. <laughs>
0: oh my God. Okay, this question is not for me, but I have strong opinions. So, uh, <laughs> Carlos' dreamy dimples, <laughs> excellent name, says Kristen, thoughts on the Oxford comma? I simply cannot get behind the non use of that necessary little bugger. I am very pro Oxford comma. It mm-hmm. just looks wrong if it's not there. Yeah, okay, so controversial take. Yeah.
1: As someone who studied journalism, I should be anti-Oxford karma, yeah. but I am for it. Okay. Yeah. All right. It just makes sense. It there, makes sense. There are certain journalism rules, like mm-hmm. for a long time – um website was two separate words and web was capitalized that's stupid. That's just stupid. That it just stupid. looks <laughs> wrong and you do it and people try to correct you and you're yes. like actually, actually <laughs> I mean I think they've stopped that because yeah. it was nonsense. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I like the oxford comma. Me too. Should we move on to Supreme Court Inductions? Yeah, let's
0: do some Supreme Court Inductions. To get inducted on this podcast, all you have to do is join our Patreon at the $7 level or higher. And then we will, you know, say your name and uh, your favorite cookie. And we're never changing it ever. Never. Amanda Evanson.
1: Chocolate Chip. Jamie Marino. Oreo, peanut butter, and chocolate. Oh,
0: yum. Oh, yum. That does sound good. Creepy little panda. (laughs) (laughs) White chocolate macadamia nut. Megan. Okay, I love this because Megan. I'm sorry, I didn't even see the last name because I was Uh, reading this. Megan is spelled M E I G H A N, and then she included it's just Megan with extra letters. (laughs) Megan Moore. Any free cookies? Not
1: having to pay for them makes them taste better. How often are you getting free cookies? Yeah, where are you getting these
0: free cookies from, Megan? With extra letters? Is it where you got all your extra letters? Uh, uh, Any (laughs) Hooters? Biz
1: Chocolate chip with walnuts Blakely Corbin Snickerdoodle Haley Laurel Panera's kitchen sink cookie Everybody loves I that know. damn I gotta get one of those Get me to that hospital food <laughs> Boomooling Fudgy brownies <laughs> It's a cookie, cookie? It's a, a bar cookie, cookie. You're, You're a fucking don't, liar <laughs> Don't you dare <laughs> Melly Williams My mom's sugar cookies your mom sugar cookies <laughs> wow got her. got him fucking Angie <laughs> oh boom oh it's a Mexican sugar cookie thing hang on I've got to google that you had that I don't know that I've had it I feel like I would recognize the packaging I've never had that but it does <laughs> look good <laughs> Haley nicole white chocolate macadamia alicia dill oatmeal chocolate chip sarah
0: gazda Snickerdoodle. Welcome to the Supreme Court. Thank you, everyone, for all of your support. We appreciate it so much. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and then head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. Then be sure to join us next week when we'll be experts on two whole new topics. (laughs)
1: topic when we'll be experts on two whole new topics
0: podcast adjourned
1: and now for a note about our process I read a bunch of stuff then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary and I copy and paste from the best sources on the web and sometimes Wikipedia so we owe a huge thank you to the real experts I got my info from the documentary Brothers of the Blacklist the article, Brown versus the City of O'Neana" for the ACLU of New York, and the article, The Blacklist by CBS
0: News. I got my info from an article by Erica Marie for OurBlackGirls.com, an article by Mary Hallberg for MaryHallbergMedia.com, The Charlie Project, The Houston Chronicle, Wikipedia, and The Court Record. For a full list of our sources, visit LGTCPodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff.